when I look at the Bible and I look at what makes relationships complicated, there's one word, and the word is sin. Sin separates. Now, we know theologically that we could give a gospel presentation, and that's probably one of the first things that we would say to people. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And sin has made a separation between us and our God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. But we would also say that sin separates people. It causes relationships not to be what they were meant to be. In fact, you and I were made for relationships. Within the Trinity, there is a beautiful relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's a face-to-face -face component of relationships that God wants us to have. But we tend to run from those things. Sometimes it's hard to look people in the eye. Sometimes it's hard to be vulnerable and really let someone into my soul. And so in 2 Samuel 19, as we get kind of a picture of the kingdom of God, we're going to see David interacting with people, people who come back to him as he's returning back to the throne after the rebellion of Absalom. And there's, there's all these layers to these stories. There's a backstory to each person that approaches David. And we're going to have an opportunity as a church family to learn about relationships as we watch David. And I'm sure you would all admit that we probably all need to learn a little bit more about how to handle relationships effectively. And there's some things that get in the way of our effectiveness. And one of the things that gets in the way of our effectiveness is pride. Pride is maybe the chief expression of sin. If you think back to the garden and you think about Adam and Eve when they sinned, one of the first things that they did is run from God. They isolated themselves. They hid from God. They hid, if you will, from the relationship. Yesterday, there was a group of about 40 men that met here for a men's breakfast, and the topic was pornography. And it needs to be dealt with because it is running rampant in our society. And I think about every man in some way is impacted by pornography, and a lot of women are as well. And there was some really candid, honest discussion about pornography. And one of the things that came out in the group questions is that pornography enters you into a world that's not real. The whole thing is a phony world, and the whole thing is devoid of love. What makes relationships special is love. But if I can look at an image and just kind of see somebody as an object, and I don't have to really love them or invest in them. That may be easy for the moment, but it's empty. Empty. And when David is interacting with all of these people, in many ways he foreshadows the greater David, Jesus Christ. Not perfectly. There are times when David didn't foreshadow Christ because he messed up because he was human. And he had a lot of complicated relationships. And a lot of them were complicated because of what David did. David made choices that complicated his life. And so the question is, once relationships are complicated, what do we do? How do we fix them? The Word of God has answers for us. We're going to dive in. Would you pray with me, Father? We just uh, we want to humble ourselves. We know humility is probably one of the first steps to healing. Humility 
can heal broken relationships. In fact, you tell us that if we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, you'll exalt us at the proper time. And we know that pride keeps, uh, it keeps difficulties and broken relationships going in the wrong direction. But humility, literally in the Hebrew, can bring down the walls. Sin erects walls. Humility breaks them down. Humility is the first step to healing. I pray that for those who have entered into this place and maybe they are in a broken relationship right now, they're wondering how to fix it, they're wondering if there's even any hope. I pray that we could find hope. I pray that we could find encouragement. I pray we could find exhortation if we need to be the first to make that move. And I pray that ultimately, Lord, you would receive the glory. You'd make us more like you. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Relationships are definitely complicated, but God is very relational and God wants us to be people who are working on our relationships. Uh, in fact, we represent a king and a kingdom and this, this whole uh, book of 2 Samuel we've called the kingdom of God and we had it up for a while. And the idea of the kingdom of God is that your life the king and the kingdom that you represent will probably be most manifest in your relationships. The king and kingdom that you represent will be most manifested in your relationships because Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. If we don't love well, if the church is a place of division and a place where people are always mad at each other, or if our families, our Christian families reflect that, or our marriages reflect that, the world is not going to want to have what we have. They're going to run. Jesus, when he prayed for the church in John 17, a couple of times said that the world may know, that the world may know. And really, one of the statements that he made was that the world would know by our unity as a church. That they would be drawn in by the health of our relationships. Now, I know that we all have work to do. I know that we all could think of friends right now. We could think of family members. We could think of children. We could think of co-workers that maybe there's something going on that needs to be fixed. But I would just say to you that God wants us to, to make that move in humility. He does not want you to be isolated. Now, one of the first people that came to David, and uh, this is what Pastor Chris touched on last time, and I'm not going to get into it too much, but his name in verse 16 of chapter 19 is Shammai. He was the son of Gera, the Benjamite, who was from Baharim. He hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. He was an unexpected visitor, and sometimes when you have issues with people, sometimes they'll show up unexpectedly. You might walk into a store Maybe you had an issue with a person. You ever had this happen? They're on your mind. You, you go to a store, or maybe you're somewhere where you don't normally go, and then there they are, and you're like, mm, uh, this may be God. And then you have to deal with something, and you have to be honest, and you have to deal with a broken relationship. And I'm sure David was a little bit surprised to see Shimei, because if you remember in chapter 16, I think it was, Shimei was the guy throwing rocks at David, and cursing David and mocking him and saying, you're a man of blood, you're a murderer. And David said, let him 
let him go on. David's military man said, uh, I'll, I'll cut his head off right now. You want me to do that, king? <laughs> uh, let me think for a second. No, nah, that probably wouldn't be good. So he said, maybe the, maybe the Lord is the one who put these words in his mouth. And David took the high ground with Shammai. And, you know, remember the old childhood rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. This guy was literally throwing stones, literal rocks, but he was also throwing words. And David was a human. And David had to take it to heart, but he let him go on. And sometimes in some relationships, when people are mad at us, they send a nasty email to you, an unexpected text out of left field, and you're like, where did that come from? Sometimes the first thing that you need to do is take it to the Lord before you respond. Maybe it's just possible that maybe God even has a message in a situation like that. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And so it's good for the person of God to say, Okay, Lord, before I fire back my arrow towards that person, what may you be showing me? It could be nothing, but it's possible. There are people, if you turn to Psalm 25, who have been hurt so many times, Psalm 25, a little bit to your right, who have been hurt so many times that they have ended up isolated, lonely. There's a lot of lonely people in our world. Some people are isolated not by their own choice. Some people have chosen to be isolated. They don't want to deal with people anymore. They've been hurt too many times. And hurt and sin and unresolved issues can move us towards isolation. David wrote many of his psalms in the midst of his pain. This is a, an incredible psalm, and it says, To thee, O Lord, Psalm 25, 1, I lift up my soul. O my God, in thee I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Verse 4. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy compassion and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy loving kindness, remember thou me, for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies, 11. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity. His descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely. Notice, David, I am lonely and afflicted. I'm sure this was during one of the times when he had been hurt by so many people. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for thee. Redeem Israel, God, out of all his troubles. And then if you turn to Psalm 68, 
verse 4, Psalm 68, verse 4, says, Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song, 68.4, for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before him. God, 68.5, is a father of the fatherless, a judge for the widows, is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home, notice, for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. If you think about David's uh, relationships back to 2 Samuel 19, you can put some names on your notes. Saul, Jonathan, Michael, Abigail, Bathsheba, Uriah, Joab, Absalom. And there, there could be many, many more. And as faces and names flashed across David's mind, some of those people were gone. Some of those people were now his enemies. And he had to, he had to think about uh, these relationships. Mephibosheth is another one. It says of the Messiah that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Think about Jesus. Think about his relationships with his disciples. People who said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then the next thing, he'd turn around and somebody was stabbing him in the back. Judas. So life can be complicated. And Jesus understands what complicated relationships look like. And he's pictured really, I think, in David's response to Shimei, where he did not repay evil for evil and insult for insult. As tempted as I am to do that when I'm wronged. To fire back. And to say, you want to know something? Let me tell you something. Oh, yeah? But that doesn't get us anywhere. So let's take a look at the next person who approaches David. This is a man named Mephibosheth. It's in 1924, 2 Samuel. Call him another surprise visitor. Then Mephibosheth, the son, he was actually the grandson of Saul. There's no word for grandson, so it just says son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither cared for his feet nor trimmed his mustache nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. The next relationship interaction, very touching with King David as he's going back to be restored to the throne is a young man named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was lame in both his feet and David had adopted him into his own home, Mephibosheth ate at the king's table. Literally, David adopted him into his family. And David did this because of his love for Mephibosheth's father, who was Jonathan. Jonathan, now dead, was a good friend. Some of you have lost good friends. They're now gone. And, and David loved Jonathan so much that he wanted to show kindness to someone left in the family. And so Mephibosheth was that man. He was lame in both his feet. He had an accident when he was a little kid. And David invited him in and he took care of him as if he were one of his own. But then something happened. And David was in his own despair. If you go back to 2 Samuel 16, here's the backstory. David had left Jerusalem. Absalom is trying to take David's throne, 2 Samuel 16, 1. David had left the city, and when David had passed a little beyond the summit, 16.1, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them were 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a jug of wine. 
The king said to Ziba, 16.2, why do you have these? And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for whoever is faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, and where is your master's son? Simply put, where is Mephibosheth? David had to quickly leave the city, and he was wondering, where is my adopted son, if you will? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's staying in Jerusalem, for he said, this is what he said today, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I will prostrate, I prostrate myself, let me find favor in your sight. Oh, my Lord, the king, David, in his distress and anguish, he had taken Mephibosheth into his own family, and he asked the question, you've got stuff that belongs to Mephibosheth. You've got donkeys, and you've, you've provided all these goods, and I know you're a servant, so this came from him. Where is he? Where is my adopted son? Oh, this is what he said. He said, hey, today, the kingdom will be restored to me. I'm going to take the throne now. Can you imagine how David must have felt? What? The young man that I brought into my house to adopt him and show him kindness is now turned his back on me in my moment of distress? You know, you can find out who your friends are when you're in a tough time. You can find out who your friends are when you ask people if they'll help you move. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Amen? That's usually when you say, I'm so glad I sold that truck. I can't help you out. I just have a little car. I'm sorry. Right? And David had to be devastated. But what David didn't know was that Mephibosheth was devastated. In fact, from the time that David left Jerusalem, Mephibosheth was a mess. Mephibosheth went into a spiral. He did not look like a man who was trying to take the throne. He looked like a man who was broken and depressed. In fact, his outward appearance, not shaving, not taking care of his feet, not washing his clothes, what it showed was that he was a broken man. And sometimes when someone's depressed, they stop taking care of themselves. What is happening on the inside often comes out on the outside. So Mephibosheth shows up, and David, the last thing that he heard about Mephibosheth was that he had bailed on David and said, oh good, now I can take the throne for myself. Jesus said, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as he's with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast, Matthew 9, 15. And Mephibosheth becomes a picture of a servant of the king who's bummed that he's not there. Mephibosheth's appearance showed that Ziba was lying. Have you ever had someone tell you a lie about a friend and you believed it, maybe because the outward way that you could weigh the information verified the story, but you didn't have all the facts. John 7, 24 says, don't judge according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. Trials are not a good time to make significant decisions. 
And what David did in the midst of the trials, he gave Ziba all that belonged to Mephibosheth in a moment of anger, in an impulse decision, reacting to a lie. Now, whether Mephibosheth may have said this is probably up for some conjecture, but I think from just the facts, if you're going to play detective right now, you would say Mephibosheth's appearance shows that he wasn't trying to betray David. He, he wasn't trying to bail on David, but David was told a lie. David believed it and made a snap decision. And when we make snap decisions without all the information, we normally get ourselves in trouble. We hear one side of the story. You come home, the lamp is broken. One of your little angelic children come up to you. Daddy, Daddy, what happened to the lamp? That brother of mine, Daddy. Right? Oh, I'm going to break that kid. I was going to say kill, but, you know, that's just a metaphor anyway. So, and then the other kid comes, and he's got a better version of the story and got a few facts. And, and sometimes we discipline or we react, and we don't have all the facts. And then we're a little embarrassed and the other side of the story is told. And so it was back in chapter 19, verse 25, when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, and this had to be hard for Mephibosheth to even get to this location because he was lame. And David asked a natural question. He's probably surprised to be, see Mephibosheth. And he said, he said, why? 25, middle of the verse. Why, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, oh, my Lord, the king, my servant, he's talking about Ziba, deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. Here's what appears to be the situation. Mephibosheth wanted a donkey saddled. He was lame. He was waiting on the servant and the servant saddled the donkeys, got the provisions together and took off without Mephibosheth. And what do you, why do you think Ziba did that? Probably because if he could meet the king in his distress, it'd be a good career move for him. And he knew if he left Mephibosheth behind and there was nobody in the house, there would be nobody to help him get to the king. And he could tell a lie about him and position himself to climb the corporate ladder. Because we know people don't do that today. They don't whisper in the boss's ear about, well, you know, uh, this is what's happening with so-and-so. Maybe you've been... Somebody lied about you at work and they got the position and you're like, Lord, how could this be? But let me say to you, the truth eventually comes out. People who weave a web of lies usually end, themselves, end up being caught in their own web. So take courage if that's you. David made some assumptions, and Mephibosheth now is straightening out the king. He said, moreover, he has 27 slandered your servant. He lied about me to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. You're like an angel to me. You took me into your household. You could see by his outward uh, look, he was devastated and he's saying something like this. Ziba told a zinger about me, king. It's false. He duped me. He duped you. It's a lie. Now think about David. David has given Ziba all of Mephibosheth's land. And now he's thinking, oh my goodness. Maybe this whole thing was a ruse. It was a lie. 
For all my father's household was nothing but dead men, Mephibosheth continues, before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? I'm not going to say any more, he said. You've adopted me. The only reason I'm alive is because of you. I should have been a dead man. Think of, if Absalom would have captured the throne, do you think Mephibosheth would have been killed? I think so. Because Absalom didn't want any rivals to the throne. So Mephibosheth is just basically saying to David, I've told you the truth, but I'm not going to say any more, because who am I? You've been so good to me. And David found himself in a quandary. What would he do now? So the king said to him, Why do you still speak of your affairs, 29? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. David changed what he said earlier. He had given all the land to Ziba. Let me just say, here's an application point. Some bad decisions simply need to be reversed. If you made a bad decision in the past and you can reverse it, don't be too ashamed to change it. If you made an error because you didn't have the full facts, don't be afraid to say, I made a mistake. I'm going to reverse my decision. As a king, he could have just said, you know what, you need to live with it. I made an official pronouncement from the crown, too bad. But he said, no, I'm going to have you divide the land. Now, some of you read that and you think, divide the land? What are you talking about, divide the land? He should give all the land back to Mephibosheth and he should hang Ziba, right? What's David doing here? We don't know for sure, but he may be testing Mephibosheth, I want you to turn. Um, there's a passage in 1 Kings. It's right. Okay, just the next book to the right. Check this out. 1 Kings 3, 16. Solomon is now, uh, as David's son, taken the throne. Two women, 1 Kings 3, 16, who were harlots, came to the king, stood before him. One woman said, Oh my Lord, 1 Kings 3, 17, this woman... And I live in the same house and gave birth to a child while she was in the house. It happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child. We were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, only two of us in the house. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. 20. She arose in the middle of the night, took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept, laid him in her bosom, and laid her dead son in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, it was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, for the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, no, for the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Almost sounds like your children in the back seat. Thus they spoke before the king, no, yeah, no. Then the king said, 23, the one says, this is my son who is living and your son is the dead one. The other says, no, for your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. The king said, get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to the one and half to the other. The woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, 
He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Wow. Then the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child. By no means kill him. She is his mother. And when all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Back to 2 Samuel. Is it possible that Solomon, using the same tactic as David, said, we're going to divide the land to see what Mephibosheth would say? If Mephibosheth made a big deal about it, maybe that would reveal his heart. There are so many situations where families get into debates and arguments about property and possessions. And if you put possessions above people, you will not have healthy relationships. And it is sad that many people who end up with a loved one dying, they get in fights over the will, and it is very sad. And I'm not saying people don't have legitimate gripes about you know, what should take place here, but it, it reveals people's hearts in these moments. And I think David maybe was trying to find out about Mephibosheth's heart. And Mephibosheth would tell the king that he didn't care about the land. Verse 30, back in 2 Samuel 19, he said to the king, let him even take it all. I don't care. 30, since my lord the king has come safely to his own house, I don't care about the land. I don't care about the stuff. You were taking care of me anyway. Let him have it. I don't care. What do you think that meant to David's heart? He probably said, ah, now I can see that you're telling the truth. Maybe David was a bit stunned, but Mephibosheth was restored. We need to remember these lessons. Now there's a third visitor that comes to the king, verse 31. His name is Barzillai. It's a, he made a form of pasta back in the day. It's a, <laughs> kind of a squirrely little, small, just kidding. Anyway. Now, he was a Gileadite, and he had come down from Rogelum. They made uh, things that helps your hair grow back. Um, just kidding. And he went on to the Jordan with the king to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai, by the way, if you look it up in Hebrew dictionaries, lexicons, means iron-hearted or iron man. I'm not kidding. Barzillai's name is iron man. Woo! Everything comes from the Bible. People just don't know. Okay? And he was 80. How about an 80-year-old Iron Man? Gotta love it, right? Those Iron Man competitions are pretty cool. I was telling uh, a group, and I'm not sure if it was this group, but uh, about an Iron Man competition where there was a father and a son, and the son was handicapped. And he really can't talk or walk. He speaks through a computer and his dad pulls him in Ironman competitions. Uh, he'll ride a bike with his son on the back. He'll pull him in a boat for the swimming portion. And uh, he runs and pulls his son. And his son put into the computer, when my dad is running, it feels like I am. And the dad's, I think, in his 50s or 60s and he's a stud. Calves are just, right? And it's just such a beautiful story. Well, Barzillai, um, when he was very old, look at verse uh, 32, being 80 years old, and I'm sorry if you're close to 80, but that's what the Bible says. <laughs> 
He had it sustained the king while he stayed at Mahanaim. He was a very great man. Uh, ESV NIV says he was a wealthy man. And he shows up. Now, it had to be a hard trip for him from Rodellum to this location because he was 80 and it was hard to travel. But he had sustained the king. In fact, in an earlier chapter, just to get the backstory, 2 Samuel 17, 26, take a peek. 17, 26, it says, Israel, Absalom camped in the land of Gilead. 2 Samuel 17, 27. Now, when David had come to Mahanaim, Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah, of the sons of Ammon, Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rogelim, brought beds, basins, pottery, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey, curd, sheep, cheese of the herd, for David and the people who were with him to eat, for they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Barzillai was an awesome guy. Iron man. And he came to David in his distress and he brought provisions. Turn back to 2 Samuel 19 as we wind down. And the king said to Barzillai, 33, you cross over with me and I will sustain you in Jerusalem. Now, he had to be a sight for sore eyes. Shimei, you know, then Mephibosheth, a little bit more complicated. But when Barzillai walked up and the king saw him, what do you th think he thought? Oh, man, there's my good friend. This guy's always had my back. I love this guy. I've got an Iron Man poster in my garage. He's, he's awesome. And so he showed up and David said, I want you to cross with me and I want you to go to Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, how long have I yet to live? that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem. I'm now 80 years old. Can I distinguish between good and bad, 35? Or can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord, the king? Now in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 through 7, I won't go there for, for the sake of time, but this this Barzillai almost sounds like the writer of Ecclesiastes who uses metaphors for getting old and basically says, can't hear the voice of singing like I used to and I get up at the crack of dawn and I don't know why. As we get older, that seems to happen to us. We just wake up in the middle of the night. A little bird chirps and we wake up, right? Our teenagers can sleep through a helicopter landing on the front lawn. But a little bird chirps and we're like, right? It's a, it talks about the almond tree and our hair starts to change color when we get older. Some of you know which aisle to go down to remedy that, right? Comb a little bit in, whatever. Now I have people around me, I, I have a little sprinkling coming in and I'm told it looks distinguished. Come on church, give me some love. <laughs> yes, Pastor Michael, it does. Then I ask other individuals, well, why do you color your hair? Well, it's different in my case. So it's distinguished for me, but it's different for you. How does this work? I don't know. I'm going to go with the distinguished thing anyway. So he said, your servant would merely cross over the Jordan 36. Why should the king compensate me with this reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. However, here is your servant, Chimham. He ran a combination business of chimney sweeping and selling ham out of the same location. What, you don't believe that? <laughs> I'm kidding. 
Actually, you don't pronounce the CHs. His name is actually Kim Him. Let him cross over. He's probably a, a son or a grandson to Barzillai. With my Lord, the King, and do for him what is good in your sight. I'm not going to go. I'm older. I, I want to be home. But please bless my son or grandson. And the king answered, Kimhan shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what is good in your sight. Whatever you require of me, I will do. And so all the people crossed over the Jordan. The, the king crossed too. The king kissed Barzillai. Maybe he thought, I don't know if I'm going to see this guy ever again. You know, if you had, if you've gone to another country and you, you're not sure you're going to be back, and you say goodbye to somebody, sometimes as Christians we say, if I don't see you this side, I'll see you in heaven. I think it may have been a moment like that for the king. He kissed him. He blessed him. This would be something like a holy kiss, a blessing. And he returned to his place. And David had to be thinking, thank God for good friends that stay by your side. There is a site known as Garuth Kimham, literally the habitation near Kimham. It's mentioned in Jeremiah 41.17. It's near Bethlehem, which is the birthplace of David and also the birthplace of Jesus. And it's a marker that David was true to his word. And so the people crossed over and they came uh, across the, the place uh, of the Jordan to a place called Gilgal. Just write this down for your notes. Gilgal is central to Joshua leading the people in Joshua chapters 3 through 5. And Gilgal means a rolling away, a rolling away of past mistakes, a rolling away of things that hurt, of our mistakes in the desert for the children of Israel. And they came to Gilgal, very significant. And Kimham went on with him. And all the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel accompanied the king. Now, those who even were Against the king, maybe on Absalom's side, they were trying to get back in the good graces of the king. He's crossing over the Jordan. There's some great symbolism and significance. Gilgal, a rolling away. Let's, let's restore relationships. Let, let's get things right again. All the people of Judah, half the people of Israel are there. Probably representative elders of the people. And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king. Now the king has to be feeling good about Barzillai and all that's happened. And they said, why had our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away? Just when you think things are going to calm down. Someone else comes with another complaint. You ever had a week like that? A week of what we might call intense fellowship at home? <laughs> and you're like, all right, we got everything worked out now, right? Wrong. And somebody else comes up, you know, let me tell you something else. <laughs> and you're like, no more, please. Well, they came and they said, they stole you away and brought the king and his household, all David's men with him over the Jordan. They, they took you away from us, king. Then all the men of Judah answered, the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative to us. Why then are you angry about this matter? Have we eaten at the king's expense or has anything been taken from us? But the men of Israel answered, this is almost like watching a tennis match. They answered them. They said, then they said, yeah, but, and he, and we, and you're like, I'm getting dizzy. And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, we have 10 parts in the king. We're 10 tribes. Therefore, we also have more claim on David than you. He's ours. No, he's ours. He's ours. It's mine, 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 mine. You ever watched a 
children fight over Christmas presents on Christmas morning. And if one of them grabs a box, they'll fight over it. It doesn't matter what it is. They are born into the world with sinful tendencies. Anybody need any additional proof of that? I don't think so. So they're fighting back and forth. We have ten parts. Well, David's our relative. Why then did you treat us with contempt? Why did you despise us? Was it not our advice first to bring back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were harsher or even could be more weighty than the words of the men of Israel. And David looked back and forth, back and forth, and there they went. Ah, family relationships. Just when you thought the nation of Israel was restored and unified, there they go again. You know, I'll just tell you, if you, in your marriage and relationships, expect conflict, you'll probably be better off. We say in premarital counseling to young couples, anticipate conflict in your marriage. Why they say, I love him so much. And you say, because... It's coming! <laughs> you, try, you try to tell them, you've been married a couple of decades, you know, right? It will come, believe me. Oh no, I will never ever be mad at him or her. Goo goo, gaga. And you're like, all right, <laughs> separate for a moment. It's coming! <laughs> Anticipate it. Here's what you can do when it comes. Oh, I don't know. Just listen. And then you tell them, okay, conflict can be good because it can help you deal with stuff and all of that but family relationships can be difficult now I'm going to move into chapter 20 and just tell you about one more story I will use my shofar for this story now a worthless fellow <laughs> happened to be there whose name was Sheba the son of Bikri a Benjamite and he blew the trumpet let's see if we can do this Hold on. <laughs> you guys who were here on Easter, you know I was able to do it, right? Hold on a minute. Okay, anyway. I went to this church on Sunday and he grabbed this thing and then blew. Anyway. Now he, he blew the, literally the shofar, that's a ram's horn. And he said, we have no portion in David, nor do we have an inheritance in the son of Jesse, every man to his tents, O Israel. So look, look, we don't have any portion here. So all the men of Israel withdrew from following David, verse 2. They followed Sheba, the son of Bichri, but the men of Judah remained steadfast to their king from the Jordan, even to Jerusalem. I'd love to leave you with some grand news about this story the truth is, after all this bickering, many people who showed up at the Jordan followed David no more after that day. And they followed this worthless man. His name literally means Belial, which is a name for the devil. And off they went. Imagine being David at the end of this day. And there they go. And you're like, wow. Relationships are complicated. We'd love for them all to go the way that they should. But I'll tell you this. One day, we're all going to unite under the greater David, King Jesus. And this is supposed to be a foretaste of that day. And I'm so sorry 
when I see brothers and sisters hurting each other. And I will tell you, I've probably done it. I'm sure I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. But the more the Holy Spirit has control of our lives, we can reflect the king and the kingdom we're, we're supposed to represent. And it's largely going to be lived out, please hear me well, in your relationships. How healthy are they? What might you need to do in response to this message to make something right that's wrong? As much as it depends on you. Not all things are fixable, I know. At least for this moment. But walls can come down. Humility can bring healing. And Jesus said that the world may know. Jesus knew what it was for people to bail on him. But one day we will all be united under that great King Jesus. And I pray that we could start this side of heaven. Amen. This side of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And get some things right.